We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, I would ask how it's going, but it kind of fucking sucks right now because of Boston. So... Uh, why don't we, what, what, aside from senseless tragedy being, and people being shitty, um, and people being amazing, uh, how's life? Uh, well, I'm going to see Upstream Color in a couple hours, so I'm trying to let that be a thing that makes the day all right. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a little extra connected to Boston because, um, I would have been there right when that happened, um, except my mom injured her her leg so she didn't go to boston this year so um but yeah other than than that tiny little horrible thing minor that happened detail. minor detail it was a pretty awesome week of tv so we're gonna focus on that this week and uh we're gonna start off the feel good train with we got a review on itunes Thank you so much. Five-star review from Jason, uh, the burlap otter, which I don't know the story behind that, but I feel like I want to. So uh, thank you very much, Jason. Apparently we are fun and insightful. So go team. I I feel like half of one of those things may be true, but I'll take it. (laughs) We also got a review and over in iTunes for the Sound Insight TV feed, which has the Walking Dead podcast, the Bates Mattel, Game of Thrones, all of those are on the, that feed. We got a review there from JPX9003, um, who enjoys all of them. So that includes the two of us with Walking Dead and, of course, myself with Game of Thrones. So thank you very much for that review as well. Um, as we say every week, we are up in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And so, you know, if you have a few minutes, we would very much appreciate if you would go and, and give us a review there. Help other people find the show. Let us know what you like and maybe don't about the show and, and what we do. But Thank you very much to Jason. That was awesome this week. Um, at the end of the show, we were supposed to have our Spartacus Apalooza this week, and unfortunately, life happens and scheduling conflicts arose this weekend, so we had to push it back a week. But instead of listening to us uh, have such um, epic and amazing gratitude to the Spartacus gang, you get to listen to me be a scary cat about TV miniseries because Capone, Steve Procopi from Ain't It Cool News came back to do Capone's Horror Picks 2 and we talked about it and Storm of the Century and that'll be at the end of the show. Yeah, that was a good time. Uh, but yes, next week is going to be so very Spartacus full. Yeah, I would feel worse about being a, b- a week behind if the segment with, with Steve wasn't so awesome. So we got you guys. Or if more people watch Spartacus. Well, yeah, there's that. 
But uh, let's keep it on the, the positive side. We heard from uh, Keith this week, who is watching Doctor Who. He started watching uh, the, the new series with Eccleston. So, Keith, keep us apprised, or at least keep myself apprised. Everybody knows I'm, I'm the Who fan of, of the group. But I'd love to know, you know what you're thinking as you, you know, continue along with that. Uh, I talked Mindy Project with Justine, Randy, and Kyle. Will is just uh, was just watching The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Have you seen that one? No, but I, I'm I'm familiar with its basic plot. Well, and that you should, because it's amazing. And that I should, because I'm a terrible Philistine. <laughs> so that was fun. Ken and I talked. Uh, Madman and Hightate sent some thoughts my way on uh, on, on Monday. We very much appreciated that. Um, so great to hear from you guys. At Sound on Sight, it is still the locations and sets theme for the for the month and so ed wrote up sunnydale and that's a pretty sweet article so you guys should go check that out and what's uh what's your pop article watch what are we at three thousand words four thousand words i'm at 3500 and i've i'm short maybe two or three blurbs so it's not not too bad i actually made between that and and the spartacus thing i wrote i actually wrote like three thousand words in in a 24-hour space which is slightly ridiculous for me so (laughs) it's it's looking like it might even be done by the time the next episode rolls out maybe crazy i look forward to it um any other sound on site news or shall we go into our week in tv i think we should just get to it there's There's a lot lot. to talk about so we're going to kick it off with the comedies where where would we go we can go anywhere that you know. Could we travel through time? Or maybe see friends? Or anywhere else naked ladies will dance? Could we fly in a booth? Could we go to church camp? I'd rather stay at Greendale. Could we ride a hot air balloon? Yes! So we're going to kick off our ridiculously stacked week in television by talking about a little comedy. And uh, this was a hell of a week for comedy. I'm just going to list off the, the, the comedies this week. And these are just the ones that the two of us watched, uh, our, our powers combined. We had New Girl, Bachelorette Party, Mindy Project, Santa Fe, The Cougar Town, two-part finale, Don't Fade on Me, How Love Will Travel, Community, Intro to Felt Surrogacy, Parks and Rec Animal Control, The Archer Finale, Sea Tunt Part 2, Happy Endings, She Got Game Night and The Storm Before the Calm, Bob's Burgers, Family Fracas, The Veep Premiere, Midterms, and let us not forget, we cannot mention this week in television comedy without mentioning that Louis C.K. had a, a, a comedy special, stand-up special on HBO. Holy crap. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was, uh, like, I didn't think any one of those things blew me away, but as just a spread of good stuff, it's pretty damn solid. Um, I'll, I'll start with CK, I think, because why it's the only time we're going to get to talk about Louis CK this year, probably. And, you know, I, I feel like I, all of his specials have pretty much the same hit to miss ratio for me, which is, I, I guess, a slightly controversial thing to say because people <laughs> tend to think his stand up is just totally genius. And sometimes it is, uh, other bits in this didn't work for me, but then we had things like, his seal impression, or obviously the very closing bit, which I thought was just brilliant. 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I wasn't, I think I had it overhyped for me because everybody, I mean, because I, I am such a fan of Louis C.K. and everybody was like, oh my God. Um, and, and so I just enjoyed it. I laughed out loud several times, but not as much as I did, honestly, at some of the comedies this week, um, which feels, again, like you said, sort of blasphemous. But if you haven't seen it, what's, what's, it's like five bucks at his website or something, right? Uh, it's. It, I don't think it's on sale at his website yet, uh, but... I'm sure HBO will be rerunning it. Yeah, so check out the the Louis C.K. special. It's oh my, oh my God, right, is the name of it. Yeah, um, and I, I will say that as as much as I do think he's clearly a gifted stand-up, I think uh, Louis, the show, is where he shows that he's really kind of a genius. Mm -hmm. I think he's a very good stand-up, but that Louis is a whole other thing, yeah. I think. Yeah, definitely. Well, we should also mention we had the premiere of season two of Veep and uh, it wasn't it didn't blow me away as much. And I would agree with some of the other things I've been seeing that Gary Cole felt underused. And I was uh, actually kind of disappointed with the way the show used him. I was hoping for, for better from that character, um, but it was still fun. And I'm glad to have the show back. Well, I think what's disappointing about Cole in it is that you kind of want him to be the the sort of character who you see on the thick of it, just giving people an insane bollocking, especially from the way they hype him up earlier in the episode. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we do get that later Yeah, uh, because Gary Cole is awesome. And I, I, I kept wondering, because they kept teasing the character. I was like, oh, who's going to play him? It's like, Gary Cole. Yes. <laughs> I also really liked uh, the Cougar Town finale, though it was not uh, my favorite of the of the season. But I've, I very much enjoyed the you know having more time with the cul de sac crew this year, and look forward to watching them next year. Um, how about uh, Parks and Rec for you? Any any specific things you enjoyed? Nice to see April get more development. Yeah, um, it was all right. I, uh, I I haven't been finding Parks and Rec all that memorable lately. I have to say. <laughs> like out of out of the comedies it was kind of middle of the pack for me this week which is a little bit depressing a little bit depressing bob's burgers i didn't really laugh it felt like a waste of an episode and the, by the you know they're at the exact same place at the end as they are at the beginning and i didn't feel like i felt like i kind of felt like they were wasting my time as much as i love bob's burgers i got to the end and went that's it yeah, it did feel like there was an act missing or something. Uh, yeah, like they like it was a little bit distended. I I did enjoy the the bitter repartee between the uh, between the, the uh, ju judge the the exes uh, the judge and the and the guest show the judge in quotation marks <laughs> and the uh, the game show host that that I dug. Well, uh, a, a couple a couple little moments, but yeah, not not top shelf bobs. Happy endings was a lot of fun. Uh, of course, we got uh, Penny's. Uh, Breaking, calling off the engagement. I was just starting to think, oh, you know what? I'm really glad they kind of dropped the Penny and Dave thing. Uh, it looks like it's, it might be coming back, just based on the fact that they're not having her get married. But um, I, I did enjoy the episodes, uh, and it, as much as they weren't the absolute best we've gotten from Happy Endings this week, and on a, on a regular week of comedy, we would be talking about them, but there's too much other stuff. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, there is. Uh, we had the Archer finale also, Seaton. Uh, part two which i can't ever not chuckle when saying that it at least wins the episode title <laughs> of this week um it, I, it caps off what i think we can agree was the weakest season of archer in mm -hmm. pretty much the way we expected um I, i'm still very confused about john ham's voice work in this episode because some of the time it sounds exactly like him and and some of the rest of the time i have no idea who i'm hearing so I guess, I, I don't know, I, I just found it distracting, maybe because I pay too much attention to these things. 
but I, I did enjoy the fact that what seemed like it should be this big action y finale mostly was just really digressional, if that's a word, <laughs> uh, which feels totally appropriate for an Adam Reed show. And I, I, I was sort of surprised, though, that we got to the end of the season and there was no more Barry action or Barry and Katya action. That was a little surprising. Yeah, I mean, I, I was glad that the episode did take that left turn of, oh, no, it's just a dude. <laughs> and uh, it, I was glad that it didn't mimic. The, the previous season finale as much as as it, we were expecting but i was left with a bit of a huh yeah huh, kind of sense so i was laughing i was having fun um but i i, I can't have been the only one when they're uh trying to get they have two minutes to get to the sub or whatever it is the i can't have been the only one going why are you waiting for him to drown before you start swimming right yeah it seems yeah. very 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 silly and, although I uh, didn't, uh, although I, 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 amazingly, I didn't have as many logic issues with the underwater episode of Archer as I did with the underwater episode of Doctor Who. So <laughs> we'll get there a little later. I do want to mention um, Community this week. They had intro to Felt Surrogacy, which was their Muppet episode, and I, uh, I don't think I could say I loved it, but I really liked this episode. I thought it was hilarious. I loved the songs. This is how you do a musical episode community. Please and thank you. I would love another episode like this. I did not enjoy their their Glee sort of episode, the Christmas episode. With... I, I remember that one, yes. It was regrettable. Yeah, everybody else did, but not not me. I, I like this much more. Jason Alexander's appearance was very strange and out of out of nowhere. That felt odd and didn't quite work for me, but everything else about the episode re really did, and um, I, I, I haven't really been men mentioning Community, so I wanted to make sure that I said something when they got an episode 100% right. You could tell that everybody was so excited to basically have Muppets versions of themselves that they got to act with, um, and yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And the other show I have to mention is Mindy Project Santa Fe, because I'm officially a Mindy and Danny shipper, and I felt kind of dirty and judgy of myself when I went to tweet that, and then I was like, you know what? No. I love romantic comedies. I love good ones, that is, rom-coms. And one of the things that I really enjoy about Mindy Project is the way that it is structured as a romantic comedy in the way that Mindy sees herself. She like she loves romantic comedies. She tries to base her life off of them and ends up, you know, with always going out with terrible guys and uh and just, you know, it it's it's really been fun for me to watch that progression as somebody who is a fan of of romantic comedies. So I got to say some of Mindy's, uh, the characters, favorite, you know, ones that she likes to quote and says are really good are kind of terrible and she needs to watch more of the classic screwball comedy fair. But, you know, it's just me. Um, I, <laughs> what, what this episode gets right uh, and what the show has gotten right is the way that they have developed both Mindy and Danny as separate people. Obviously, they're, that's who they're building to as their forever couple at the end of the road. But they've they've made each of these people 100% individual and interesting and dynamic on their own right and now what they do in and they're of course they're going to throw curveballs left and right with with the with them as a potential pairing but what they managed to get right and i don't know if you experience this i don't know your level of affinity for the romantic comedies sir but i find when it's low for the record <laughs> when, when they get when they get the chemistry right when a when a, a, a rom-com or any of these shows gets the chemistry right it gets you know has really has the right pairing 
I get sort of like a bit of a pit in your stomach sort of feeling or of anticipation or or dread or you just they really manage to I, I have a physical sensation that I feel when a couple is working for me in one of these types of things and I got that this week and uh, with the the airplane thing that I love that they've really established a friendship and a respect but also a, a, a sort of um, constantly giving each other crap kind of dynamic but not in an annoying Jess and Nick way uh, on, on Mindy Project and I think they're doing a really damn good job and nobody's talking about Mindy Project and I don't know why so I wanted to give them some love this week let's talk about New Girl yeah, okay, let's do that. Uh, there was no Jess and Nick drama this week, which was great. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't the best episode of New Girl ever, but just for that, it was instantly better than the last couple of weeks. Uh, and we also, of course, had Cece throwing in some dialogue that was very clearly inspired by people's annoyance with that dynamic. <laughs> so that was great. It was nice to have another character be so frank about it. Um, and I, I also want to mention that I'm, I'm a huge non-fan of hey, remember when I used to be fat, fat suit flashbacks and comedies? They're always awful. But I did like some of the beats we got with uh, with Schmidt's old girlfriend and their conversations. That was nice. Well, I really like Merritt Weaver. She's great. Um, and it's, you know, the show is only helped by having her here. And we've seen, you know, we feel so um, connected with Schmidt as a character. He's clearly the standout of the show, I would say, the the breakaway um, the Sheldon, as it were, of uh, of of New Girl right now, and 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 when we've gotten those flashbacks, he's such a different character. It's really nice to have somebody call that out and be like, "Yeah, you know what? You're you're fun. You're a great guy and everything, but you're kind of a douche. And you didn't used to be like that. You used to be a much nicer, kinder person. And I don't care that you have a six pack now and are ridiculously hot or whatever. I want the person back." that used to be a really great guy. And I thought that, I think that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm, I don't, I expect the show to do better than to just have him decide, like start to just get fat. I think, I don't think they'll do that. I hope not. No, but, they're not going to do that. But it, it just sort of admitting the, the development we get with Schmidt where it's like, Oh, maybe there's a reason that CC, this woman that I say is, you know, I wanted to marry and who I love is deciding to not build a future with me. And it, maybe it's not just her. Maybe it's also me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm still wondering how they're going to uh, get rid of Chevron. Is that his name? Sure. <laughs> that that's how we've de we decided to pronounce his name. Um, because, I don't know your name. Yeah, because they've they've really made him out to be quite a nice fellow. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, it's I, I'm hoping it's not just oh, Cece decides that she's actually just really in love with Smith because he learned something. I don't know. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of bad ways to end that and I'm hoping they don't do any of them. Yeah, I trust them enough. I think they they've they've earned my trust on that front and I think just the the level of interest and depth that they're showing with Schmidt uh, Schmidt's side of this and the amount of maturity we're getting from him of course not at first, but he has come to accept and you know that that CC's getting married and everything and I I really appreciate that. So I'm I'm hopeful and uh encouraged that they'll that they'll do well by him. Last thing I'll mention is it's nice to see a continuation of Winston's complete inability to gauge severity of pranks or how to deal with situations. Um, yes. It would be nice if they didn't have the only um, black character constantly threatening violence. Um, I don't know. Is that, that felt, am I, is that just me bringing racist issues to something that aren't there? I felt a little uncomfortable about that. 
I usually try to be really like I try to have my radar up on stuff like this because I, you know, I always have my white privilege dar very mm-hmm. close to my brain. Yeah, I, I didn't pick up on that at all. So I guess yours is even more finely tuned than well, mine. Well, I am very possibly just reading stuff into it. I, I guess I would just I would like if they had him also because the whole point when they introduced that character beat for him it was that he either went no he did like nothing nowhere near or just far way enough, too much or way yeah. too much it would be nice if we got back you know a little bit of we, we, we've we only gotten way too much it'd be nice if we got way too little right continued as well i guess fair enough so which which show won this week for you for the comedies i think i chuckled the most at veep actually okay uh it's i don't know it's tight i did like um I, I mean, I, I always like Archer, even if I, I do think it, it it has been a slightly off season. Uh, so it's kind of neck and neck between them. But I am very happy to have Veep back in general. Um, I'm going to give it to Mindy Project. I would, yeah, I, we're not really including the Louis C.K. special in this, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, it's not really fair. Uh, but uh, I, I'll give it to Mindy Project this week because I did really like that episode. I had a stupid, silly grin on my face by the end of it. And uh, I look forward. I'm so glad it's coming back next season because I think it's a show that deserves to. But yeah, if, if I had to give it to anything, I would give it to the last 90 seconds or two minutes or, or so of, of, of Oh My God. Because yeah, that that whole thing <laughs> is like the ultimate Louis C.K. truth bomb. Boom, mm. drop mic. And, yeah. I, and I have to also mention just the way it ends with him just sort of standing in the middle of the, of the circular stage. And you can almost see him thinking, yeah, I'm awesome. Just Just give it to me. <laughs> and then roll credits. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's go on to our next segment, which is going to be our week in genre. Look, can you just tell me what the hell this is? Don't tell her anything. Uh, short answer? No. <laughs> How we all realize it? We're not. Well, we are by nature. Um, she's referring to nurture. Just give us the briefcase that you got from the German. I'm not giving you shit till you give me some answers. You don't write answers. Allison, fine. She wants in. We're clones. We're someone's experiment, and they're killing us off. Is that helpful? Hmm? Sorry. I wanted to float that whole clone thing a lot softer. Next up is our week in genre, and we're going to kick that off with, first, I watched the pilot of Da Vinci's Demons, which you didn't watch because, really, why? Um, it, it's it's <laughs> not as, as, I didn't have as negative a reaction to it as others seem to have had. I didn't think it was as bad, the pilot, as others have said, but it's certainly not good. And as much as I really enjoy Alexander Siddig and some of the other cast um very few made much of an impression, and I, I regretted. I was watching this. I was very tired when I was watching this, uh, and I I wanted to fall asleep. I didn't, so that's something. But um, it de- certainly wasn't particularly engaging, and I st- I started disconnecting when they st- when they started making Leonardo da Vinci just such a blatant Sherlock Holmes surrogate when he's talking about how he has to take opium to slow his brain down because it moves too fast. I was just like, oh come on, guys. Try to at least try to create an actual character. Leonardo da Vinci was a fascinating figure. Don't just make him Sherlock Light. Um, so you know, there's some elements in there that uh, I, I was not particularly enthused by. But if people tell me that it gets awesome, I might jump in on a season two or something if that even happens. Um, but yeah, I wasn't particularly impressed. I was far more impressed with the pilot to Defiance, which aired uh, this Monday. It was a long Monday for me. Lots of television going on this week on Monday. We'll talk about Top of the Lake at the end of the show. That was a lot of fun. But um, 
this was the two part pilot or premiere. The show is is clearly a like sci fi western sort of feel. The the central town definitely is going for like a uh, uh, outpost on the the edge of the frontier kind of uh, feel. The main character is a bit too derivative. He's clearly a Han Solo stand-in, and that down to him calling the Julie Benz's mayor character sweetheart, and that was a bit uh, too on the nose for me. I like the cast. I like the the world. I think they're doing a really great job with the creature and character, alien creation. So I'm definitely going to tune back in. It's a solid pilot. It's not as good as, for example, the Orphan Black pilot and some of the other ones that we've had this year. The Hannibal pilot was really good. But it's definitely promising. I really like the cast. Um, and I look forward to exploring the world and you know i think the fact that this is paired with a game an mmo um tells me that they've done a lot of work in really fleshing out uh what they want the universe to be because in order to build the game you have to have that and so that that's kind of encouraging so the combination of pretty standard and reliable character and character tropes and strong performers with that kind of a really sure sense of their world i think could give us a pretty entertaining show so it's nice to have an interesting show on Sci-Fi Channel again, as opposed to just a fun show. There's plenty of fun shows on Sci-Fi Channel. It's nice to have an interesting show on Sci-Fi Channel. Well, yeah, because it's not like we're going to get Alphas back. Yeah. Mm. Oh, tears. Tears. Okay, cheer your uh, thoughts. Tell us about Game of Thrones. Of course, we also have our separate Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast, which should already be up in this feed, but uh, that's this week it was, of course, myself and Ricky D, as ever, But and also we are joined by Michael Waldman, who was actually the co-host last, last season, to talk about um, Walk of Punishment. What did you think of Game of Thrones? Oh, I thought it was easily the best episode we've gotten so far this season. I think the best for a while in general. I was really happy they injected quite a lot of humor. I think that's sort of been in short supply, and I was both elated and slightly annoyed at the um, the use of the Hold Steady song in the credits because, A, I mean, I thought it was great, especially in tandem with the final scene, <laughs> but uh, it, it meant I'm, I'm adding, I have to add another bit to my pop music article, which I was like, I was down to like a, a blurb and a half to write. I was so close, and I was like, ah, damn it. <laughs> so I'm th- doing a, a bit about the use of end credits music on uh, on Game of Thrones and Boardwalk Empire specifically. So thanks, HBO <laughs> jerks. Uh, yeah, how about that uh, last moment? Because, of course, you haven't read the book, so you didn't know that was coming. Nope, I did not, which was way more fun for me. I don't know why people read books when they know there's going to be a TV show. <laughs> Seems like a waste of time. But, uh, yeah, damn. That, the whole Everything with Jamie and Brienne has just been so fantastic. Yeah. And well, of course, your your review is up at Sound Insight. So if people want your fuller thoughts, they can read them there. But let's go on to our next uh, genre show, which is Doctor Who. And this is Cold War. And it's on the return of the Ice Warriors. Speaking of reviews, my review for this is also up at Sound Insight. People can read my full thoughts there. I don't have that much to say. I thought it was actually it didn't have the some of the stronger moments of the previous week's episode. Specifically, they didn't have the sort of the heights of some of the emotional beats of uh uh, Rings of Akaten, but it also didn't have the weaknesses, so it ended up being actually a solid, fine episode, but one that I doubt I will remember as much as I love the Ice Warriors and thought they were well realized. Uh, how how did you react to it? I thought it was pretty forgettable. I I have no attachment to the Ice Warriors. Maybe that doesn't help, but uh, the there were just a whole bunch of little things that bothered me, like the fact that, okay, I get that the TARDIS is translating everybody into English, but they're speaking English before we 
the TARDIS even shows up. So that was sort of a blow. And, and, and also, you know, actors don't really get more British than Liam Cunningham. <laughs> so it's like, okay, maybe they're supposed to be speaking Russian, but I know that guy's British. And you constantly referring to the fact that this is a thing that you're doing on purpose and not just a thing that you're doing because it's easier is just a was just a constant distraction for me. Yeah, it would have been cooler if it had started out in subtitled, you know, started out subtitled somehow, and then when the TARDIS showed up, then it had... I hadn't even thought of that, but you're right, that would well, have been a lot cooler. Well, somehow. All they had to do would be to get... I mean, there was, what, like four lines of dialogue before the TARDIS shows up or something? Like, it wouldn't have been that hard. Um, but I was also annoyed at... Like, I'm sorry, but all the people shooting machine guns inside a submarine... Mm -hmm. A is dumb, and B even dumber when they know that the cattle prod works just fine. Yeah, but the cattle prod is a uh, is is a, a melee weapon as opposed to ranged. I wouldn't want to get too close. Yeah, but you're right, I don't know. right? In a submarine, it, that's stupid. Um, for for me, the the thing was that the the claws didn't make any sense given the armor who what kind of creature has three really long claws like that and that looked very fake by the way who but then decides i know for my armor i will give myself five digits like human hands well and and i, I never understand why you go to the trouble of making your baddie be basically humanoid in shape you know two eyes head you know claws etc and then go and then do bad CG for the face instead of just a guy in a suit. Uh, that never makes any sense to me. Well, I think that because, of course, they are tied to the classic series and the, the look of the Ice Warriors in the classic series, which, based on the budget, was always going to be a guy in a suit. Um, and we never we never did see them out of their armor set. They had potential there. I actually thought that the CG had, you know, for the budget that we know that they have, which is not very big. What was pretty cool and effective and way better than the the stupid claw thing that that was going on for a while, but um, I don't know. There was some some bungling of of the the stakes of of having a character. They 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 really drive home leaving your armor is the ultimate dishonor. But then he just gets back in it and is fine. Like there there are elements of character there that felt a little sloppy in the writing. Also. Just me, David Warner and Liam Cunningham were completely wasted. I didn't know anything about those characters besides the most basic strokes by the end of the episode. I don't know. I was disappointed. They were, I mean, I would like to see either of them get something to do. Yeah, they just kind of generically hammed it up in their respective styles. Yeah. And I, I guess the, the, the big deal breaker for me was I just didn't feel like, you know, you're doing a submarine, a, a, you know, a Soviet submarine Cold War standoff episode. Like, I should be sweating bullets. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't feel like there was any it danger was at all. Yeah. Like, and I, I like, you know, it's, you know, they're, he's not going to press the button. You just know. And, and it never convinces me that it even crosses his mind to actually do it. So, yeah. Well, I, I will say, though, that I did very much like what we got with Clara this week. I liked she really distinguished herself as a character from Amy and River in, in her reaction to uh, the, the, the bodies and um, also just her just her level of freak out when she looks, you know, when she's talking with David Warner's character and go and, and it was looking for validation of, did, you know, I did a good job, right? I did this right. And she's kind of out of her depth and she's willing to just stay where she's told, which is something the other companions rarely do. It's one of the things I most enjoyed about Martha actually during her tenure. Um, so I thought there was actually a lot of really good um, kind of character building distinguishing moments with Clara. What did you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I see where you're coming from in theory, but I didn't find that she didn't seem that freaked out to me. She seemed like a little bit freaked out and not like freaked out like a person who's just seen a, dis- a bunch of dismembered or dismantled people in front of her should be freaked out. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, she was she was like DEFCON 4 or whatever. She should have been DEFCON 1. DEFCON 1's the bad one, right? Yeah, she she was uh, she was children or a show for a family audience including children freaked out which is what Doctor exactly, Who is yeah. as opposed to what maybe would be more realistic but it's still some it's still better than we've seen from any of the characters recently they don't really get freaked out <laughs> Hell, I, I was more freaked out after this week Southland than she was at the threat of nuclear destruction in which this episode we will get to but let's move on to Orphan Black uh, this week I still think they're knocking it out of the park I don't have much to say this week other than I liked the reveal of oh, the bad angel wings lady um i thought that was effective and um somehow they managed to surprise me with that they shouldn't have but when i heard the the voice changer thingy i assumed it was a a guy and that was stupid on my part i should know better (laughs) we we can just assume from this point forward that every uh every unseen character is just going to turn out to be tatiana mislani from this point forward just they're they're gonna do as many of her as they possibly can how damn good is she Seriously, she's really she's very good. She's it's it's easy to forget actually how good she is because I you feel actually like start different to people. Yeah, different, you start to yeah. think you start to think of her as you start to think of them as different actresses, which is really impressive. Yeah, yeah, and it's also a stroke of genius in terms of budget saving. By the way, totally. Though honestly, this has got to be an exhausting thing for her to to shoot just to keep track of it. Let alone like I know with season one of Veronica Mars, it, Kristen Bell just basically never didn't sleep that year because she was in almost every scene. I can't imagine what it's like for Dajana Maslany shooting this season of Orphan Black. But I I feel like I know that there was a lot of positive reception, a lot of. You know, maybe you weren't thinking of checking this out, but it's actually pretty good kind of a thing from critics at the beginning who had seen four episodes. I've seen three, and I really like this show. I'm definitely on board. Uh, what about you? Uh, I don't know if I'm blown away, but I'm really, I'm digging it. I'm I'm hoping that the, because we really don't know that much about the overarching mythology yet, and I, it a lot rests on that being really, really cool and interesting okay. and not just sort of mildly interesting as I'm sort of feeling like it is now, but definitely Maslani and, uh, and the fun, uh, and, you know, I think the, the fun of it, uh, just, just in terms of watching the performances or performance mm-hmm. performances, uh, is, is carrying me through it. Even at, even if I'm slightly doubtful about sort of the big picture stuff. The final show for our weekend genre is Bardicus, War of the Damned, the finale, Victory. Of course, we we were looking forward to being able to to dig into Spartacus this week, but like we said earlier, our scheduling snafu meant that we had to push that back a week. What that does mean is that we get to talk. We'll leave it, keep it very brief, but we have to talk about the finale and then talk about the finale again next week. So I'm taking advantage of it. I loved it. What did you think? I thought it was in the context of the season pretty much perfect. And when I say that, I mean a couple of things could have been better, but it wasn't really the fault of the finale. It was the fault of stuff that came before. So given that context, I thought it was pretty amazing. And I was, I was just openly weeping for the last like 15 minutes. It was, it was not a good sight for anyone. Thankfully, I don't know anyone. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, it was harsh. And the, so many amazing moments that we'll get into properly next week. But the, I mean, obviously the Crassus Spartacus fight was one for the ages in any medium. 
so amazing so well choreographed and uh simon rammels is that his name Reynolds, yeah um, Reynolds. uh simon rammels did uh, he, he's he just was amazing throughout and although someone else pointed this out and i i do think it's too bad that they didn't have time to incorporate a flash forward because you do you know anything about what happened to crassus afterwards yep because yeah i wanted to see that scene <laughs> Yeah, no, the you know, I thought that um I think I agree with everything you said actually. There were some issues for me in this finale. I think that they overplayed the the Leta and uh Leta and Spartacus relationship, at least her vision of it. I didn't feel like they were in love last week or that she was in love with him last week, but this week they really seemed like they were trying to push that. I still have thought that they bungled um the Ganicus and Sybil relationship such that I really didn't care if she lived. <laughs> I knew that the show cared and the show wanted me to care, but I never really did. Um that being I, said I, I did I did think it was interesting though that they kind of showed off the fact that ultimately Gannicus never didn't really change that much like yes he did take a leadership role in the end but he still wasn't really uh wasn't really a one-woman man interesting that's not how i read that at all what i mean is like we we get that conversation with him and spartacus in the tent and i guess we we i, I didn't get a sense of like oh i finally found my true love and that's what oh, i'm fighting okay. for like that okay. level of devotion i got gotcha. you like we don't have like a starry-eyed Gannicus totally becoming a, t- a change man which would have been stupid well yeah i think there's something to be said that it's um for him uh maybe sur- surviving somehow is harder and going off and being a uh goat herder or farmer you know living a really quiet life might be much harder for him than even d- dying in battle certainly but sir but even maybe death on on the cross um that was incredibly powerful i don't we should we don't want to get into it too much but yeah this was i mean because i was i was at a gig i was out of town this this past week so i was uh I, I was able to watch spartacus thankfully they had stars where i was staying but nobody there had seen any of it. I mean, one person who had seen like a couple episodes. And so I was all, uh, all Saturday, I was all freaked out about how awesome it was. And there was nobody to talk to. And I didn't even have internet most of the day. So, um, I, I'm very grateful to get a chance to talk about it somewhat. Yes. And then even gratitude. more next week. Gratitude, gratitude to Stephen tonight and company for a fantastic season finale and series finale. Obviously, I think clearly Spartacus wins the week for both of us, right? In genre. It doesn't just win, it disembowels. It throws the entrails all over the arena. If we if we were, uh, you know, not doing an entire segment on it next week, I have a feeling this would be in the spotlight. It, it at least would be in very strong contention with that amazing episode of Southland that we will talk about a little later in the show. So... So it was a it was a fantastic episode. So let's just kind of remove that from the discussion here and say all the other genre shows. What's what's your pick this week? I guess I'll go Orphan Black because I wasn't that impressed with Doctor Who. You're not gonna go Game of Thrones. Uh, I kind of feel like I can't do that either. Why? <laughs> Why? Okay, You're in not that on case, a Game I'll, of Thrones podcast. That is true. Uh, in that case, I'll go Thrones and then Orphan Black. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, I'll go Orphan Black and then defiance on promise so we'll see no i'm separating out game of thrones because i have a separate <laughs> game of thrones podcast so let's we make on. our lives too complicated we do we do let's move on to our week in reality
that was a pretty spectacular rendition of It's a Man's 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 World uh, from the Battle Rounds of The Voice. Uh, there, you know, again, we, there are only a couple shows for our week in reality, and you have not been able to catch up with Amazing Race, but I figured we should check in with it. Mario is still destroying us in the, the pool. Um, he has about almost 60 points. I have, I think, like 15. But, but that's only because we don't live in a just universe where Joey and Megan got kicked off any one of the weeks that I gave them all of the points. <laughs> Well, you Which know, I've been doing for a month. I was I was very glad to see Chuck and Winona go this week, though, because they had just gotten incredibly annoying. And uh, I don't know how much of that, again, is the edit. But I, I just think there there are a number of problems with this season of The Amazing Race. And the the uninteresting teams, you know, in general is is one significant thing. But I think even more than that is the structuring of it. Yet again, like in this episode, there are two separate times when all the teams catch up. So even though at the end of last week, um, uh, Megan and Joey had a, at least an hour or at least an hour behind everybody, they catch up right at the beginning of the episode. And then there's another thing where they get behind by at least an hour and then they catch up again. What's the point of, of of doing this, if that if that's what you're going to consistently do, what's, you're rewarding mediocre teams and not allowing the stronger teams to build up a lead. It's incredibly frustrating to watch. However, the cheese challenge, I'm glad they brought one, that one back. I thought it was different enough because it was a sled instead of the backpack thing. That looked like it was incredibly hard. It was nice to see an actual challenge for once, and um, just the just the visual of watching. Watching them just die on the way down that, that hill. Bates and Anthony made it look so easy because, of course, they're they're much stronger being professional athletes. But um, but yeah, that was that was ridiculous. And I loved how when they're walking away from the cheese challenge and um, Chuck and Winona and Megan and Joey are coming up, they're like every single guy's like, it's really hard. The challenge is really hard because that that hasn't happened this season yet. So it's nice to actually see. Difficult challenge. Some terror, yes. Yeah. Uh, so who, remind me, who are you rooting for? Who did you pick? Uh, you know what? I don't even remember. That's how disengaged I am from this season already, both because I my work schedule has made it difficult to watch and because I'm so not interested in these teams. Yeah. It's tough. I want to root for Bates and Anthony, but they just, oh my God, all the stuff with the, the country girls is just so... It, I, I clearly the editors or somebody thought that was going to sell and at least at my house. It's really not. We're all incredibly tired of, of that, but um, let's talk about the voice instead a little bit or let's, I'm going to talk about the voice a little bit. The battle rounds kicked off on Monday and they were awesome. Um, there were, there were six battles and three or four of them were excellent performances and i'm very very much enjoying that it's something that clearly the coaches have improved upon greatly over the course of the the show from the first season where mostly it didn't work at all until now where they are really you know i think because they have the steel coaches are not afraid to put some of their best singers up against each other because they know it'll make an amazing moment, an amazing song. It'll probably sell a lot of downloads on iTunes. And then they don't, the person won't actually be eliminated from the competition. They'll end up on somebody else's team. And so when you had, you know, if, if what happens is that we get these performances, like we saw this week, I am all for it. And, um, I'm hoping we get just as solid music moving forward because I, I mean, I love when, when those, these duets work, they, they sound fantastic. So I'm, totally on board 
um, so far. Not as thrilled about Usher's coaching style, but other than than that, I very much enjoyed um, what we've gotten so far at the battle round. So figured I would check in with that. I don't know if I'll check in next week. We'll we'll see. We'll see how we're you know how we're feeling about that. But that's the week in reality. So let's take a, a quick break here and come back with our week in drama. We're done, Peter. This is over. You want a divorce? I refuse to be a failure. You will be here only when I tell you to be here. I'm drawing a 50-mile radius around this house, and if you so much as open your fly to urinate, I will destroy you. Much like the comedies and most of the genre series this week, the dramas freaking showed up. We already are going to talk about uh, Southland in, in the spotlight, but this week we had Mad Men, The Collaborators, we had Hannibal Amuzbush, we had The Americans, Only You, then we had The Good Wife, Rape, A Modern Perspective, and we had Top of the Lake, episode six and seven, so the con- the epic conclusion of, of Top of the Lake. But man, I guess let's start with Mad Men. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, I, the clear highlight of the episode for me this week was Allison Brie and uh, finally, 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 finally cutting Pete's head off and <laughs> uh, long overdue and so well executed. It's funny because a few minutes before it happened, I was thinking to myself, you know, I think this is going to be the season of chickens coming home to roost for these people. Mm-hmm. And yes, that is precisely what we're seeing happening. So I'm giving myself some props for seeing that coming about three minutes in advance. Well, I, I like that scene with, um, because of course, I mean, Alison Brie's so fabulous. And, uh, and Vincent Carthazer does such a good job of making us hate Pete, hate so much. All the hate for Pete. All the hate is for Pete. But I love that scene in that, that just a little bit of the scene where, where Pete says, you know, you're, you'll go to bed alone tonight and, and you'll rethink and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, Pete, honey. Why do you think she's going to bed alone? She's amazing. She's gorgeous. If she doesn't want to go to bed alone, she's not going to bed alone. So yeah. of the two yeah, of she... you, which one should be more worried about getting remarried in a, an interesting and in fulfilling way? It's not Trudy. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, so that, that's yeah, that was a fantastic scene. Uh, also, I have to give it up for Joan's uh, zinger. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good. Uh, that was, I mean, admittedly, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough of what that guy deserves. And I'm still, I still don't think, like, every time they, they bring up Roger in that situation and him just not reacting the way that I think that character should, I get annoyed all over again. Mm-hmm. So that's still an issue for me. But yeah, that was worth pointing out. Well, and also um, just because we didn't get, we got hardly any Joan again this week. And if they're yeah. gonna, I have a feeling that we're gonna get more with her next week. Um, based on their highly cryptic promos, I have, a, I think I have a feeling what might be happening with with Joan next week. Um, and that so that would, and if I'm right, then that means we're gonna get a lot of Joan next week. But um, but no, I really, I've been missing her in these first two episodes. Yeah, uh, she's really good. We need more time with her. Although I did, I did really like all the stuff with uh, Linda Cardellini, who I did not even recognize until I saw the credits. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, Linda Cardellini and uh, Jessica Perry, their scenes together and her scenes with Don. I think she's been she's been, you know, about as interesting as yet another of Don's affairs can be. Yeah, I, I really love uh, Linda Cardellini. She's done fabulous work. I did actually recognize her. And when she showed up in the premiere, I was like, huh, that's Linda Cardellini. There's no way she's just that guy's wife. So there's going to be. Yeah. 
more well i was very confused to watching the the premiere the first time because my dvr cut off the last act break and so i thought it had ended after the phone conversation with stan and peggy and so i was very confused until what everybody was talking about until i was i managed i to, to watch it again and I I've been Contact. loving the Stan Peggy stuff, by the way. I'm I'm a little bit annoyed that they already are throwing a wrench in that because yeah. I could have gone for a lot more. Well, and I I want that kind of humor and that kind of just happiness and friendship and true bond. And I'm really hoping I'm really hoping that that Stan is not going to get screwed over with that, and that even you know not even more because it really it's Peggy's own damn fault if she loses her friend because she's an idiot. Uh, but uh, I really hope that that friendship and that relationship is not lost just because I miss having something like that on the show. We used to have some level of that with Peggy and, and Don and we don't anymore. So to still have something like that, something positive and not toxic, I think is something I've, I'm really going to miss if it goes away. Yeah, for sure. Any other thoughts on the episode? Uh, not really. I, I, I've, I've enjoyed both episodes so far. Nothing on the level of the peaks of last season. But, you know, Mad Men's a slow boil sort of show generally. So I'm, there's no, I see no reason to not be optimistic. Um, I, I'll mention I love the use of Casta Diva. Um, there, if you know the storyline of Norma, then there's, you know, there's plenty more going on there that... Uh, that felt very it was very subtle and very intelligent and very nuanced music uh, mu music selection whereas opposed to the closing music selection of i am a gigolo which felt a little on the nose I mean, it was a fun song and everything but i don't know i was less sure about that and the last thing i wanted to talk about uh see what you thought about was the flashbacks um i i didn't need them they felt a little jarring to me um i don't know i think they were a little bit jarring, I'm, I, but I do like that it's something they still do. I think it was meant to make us hate Don slightly less, honestly, mm -hmm. uh, just by showing, you know, a, a little peek behind the curtain because, you know, I think he's going to be doing a whole lot more bastardry uh, this season because he's just so, un he's so unrelenting and, and unapologetic about it. Um, so I don't know. I, I didn't need it either, but it didn't bother me. Okay, fair enough. We'll see, you know, how I feel about it in a couple of weeks when we have even more payoff. I, yeah, I'm assuming they will get more payoff with that. Let's talk about Amos Bush, the second episode of Hannibal. Um, I don't have much to say about this episode other than I really enjoyed it. I'm very much on board with Hannibal. And, we, you know, something we talk about every now and again on the DVD shelf, it's really hard. It's really hard to do a good pilot. If you do do a good pilot, it's almost harder to to do an as good, if not better, second episode. Really just a second episode that isn't a massive letdown. And I think this episode was, you know, it might not be quite as as, as um, satisfying as the pilot because you're not being introduced to all these characters for the first time. But I thought it was just as strong if you're just looking at it as this individual episode. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It was gorgeous, very creative. And I, like I said, I'm completely on board. Uh, I'm, I'm still, I have the same reservations as before. I, I do, what I did like about this episode is that they, it wasn't quite as unrelentingly sullen as the first episode. They, they got a little bit of humor in there and it wasn't totally forced. That was nice. Still thinking I don't need a serial killer show in my life, but I'm, uh, but I can't deny that it is impeccably crafted. Well, and if you're going to have one, it's nice to have one with Carolyn Devernos. Yes, who, oh my god, it's so nice to see her again. So nice. Uh, let's move on to the Americans, Only You. Um, I We've kind of been back and forth, at least. Uh, it seems like the episodes you really like are the ones that I'm less interested in. What did you think of the Americans this week? 
it it had the misfortune of airing the same night as Southland, which was just seismic. Uh, but I actually thought it was a really good episode, and I I, I did get teary at the end when when Gregory met his fate. I, for some reason, characters who are just deeply principled and and sort of very stick to their guns and to to the level of martyrdom, characters like that really get to me. So. Uh, I, I think it's a, a bit of a shame that they're letting go of Derek Luke so early because I think he's been great. And I, I did love his scenes with Elizabeth and their uh, their chemistry in general. And I also I actually liked his chemistry with Philip as well, their sort of combativeness. Mm-hmm. I think it's a shame to lose that so early, but them is the breaks. Well, I also liked his scenes with Granny. They were, they were good. But um, it, you know, it'll be telling that I forgot that this is the episode where that happened. Because after a week of what's been, you know, so many really strong episodes, and it probably because, like you said, I watched this right after I watched Southland, and Southland destroyed my brain with its awesome, and then this was just sort of there. Um, so I, I mean, I, I liked Gregory in his first appearance. I, I've actually liked him in each of his appearances, but I, it wasn't as powerful of an episode for me as it seems to have been for you. I, I enjoyed those kind of principal characters as well, but I don't feel like he died for a principal. He died because he didn't want to go to Moscow, and it was that was his choice. Well, it was the principle that you know it. This is this is my country. I, I see where he's coming from, but um, the uh, the other thing that I really liked was after his demise, uh, the the whole end of the episode montage. I, I liked that it wasn't super histrionic. It was actually quite. Uh, chill if that makes sense it it, mm-hmm. re- it reminded me actually of like the closing minutes of a season of the wire for instance mm-hmm. uh would seem to me like a clear influence in the editing and and the use of music so I, I i liked that that we didn't it didn't feel the need for a big emotional ending after what felt like just sort of an inevitability mm-hmm. yeah it was it was a very well handled uh and i would agree with you on the tone of the, of that uh closing montage it was very well well done and yeah we'll see hopefully i hope to be reengaged by uh by the Americans to the level I was before. I still think it's an excellent show. I'm still very much enjoying it. I just uh like I said, I watched it after Southland, so it didn't have a chance. Yeah. We'll week. we'll get there. So let, let's talk about the the Good Wife, Rape a Modern Perspective. And uh they don't usually do sort of ripped from the headlines, uh, the you know, the old law law and order sort of uh, approach on the Good Wife, but this one felt a little bit like that. Um but and yet it still worked for me. I liked Anonymous. I liked the discussion uh, of rape. Um, I, it would have been a bit more prescient, I guess, if it had come out, uh, you know, earlier this year or last year. Um, but I don't know. I still liked it. What do you think? Wait, wait a minute. How would it have been more prescient earlier? Have you not noticed the whole Rite Parsons thing? Because that's happening right now. I was connecting it to the the rape of the girl in Ohio. Oh, right. Well, the point is these things never stop happening. Unfortunately. So it's, it's not really ever not relevant, apparently. I, although I, I do like the fact that because of the nature of Anonymous, they can just make it anonymous on the show and no one will sue because <laughs> Anonymous can't really do that. Yeah. So, Or maybe they can. That would be an interesting lawsuit. But anyway. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a solid episode. I'm a little bit I'm, i i don't really know what they're going to do with the whole carry seceding from the firm thing uh they could very easily have multiple follow multiple firms next season and no one would stop them well and uh, if if she's looking for an answer to her will dilemma Willemma, yes Willemma, having her leave with Carrie would be a way to do that i feel like they're setting that up as a very viable option i don't know if she'll yeah. take it or not but i would be interested in following that 
I'm, I'm actually sort of hoping they do because then, of course, we we could have them on opposite sides of cases, which would be awesome. That'd be pretty sweet. Yep. Oh man, um, seeing her, I, I want to see her in court against David Lean. I mean, I feel like she would have to lose, but it would be pretty fun. Yeah, um, I I still really really like Jess Weixler on the show. I don't really know what they were. Well, I don't know what the story is with her yet. I don't really have any good guesses because I'm terrible at guessing things. But I like that they're they're they seem to have her in mind for the semi long haul at least. Because they're keeping her around and they're giving her a backstory, a mysterious backstory, because everyone connected to Kalinda needs a mysterious backstory. Well, and but... if if Carrie leaves and Alicia leaves, what do you think the chances are that Kalinda leaves and is with the new firm? And then it's Kalinda versus the Jess Wexler character, both trying to out-investigator each other. Oh, you're making me too... The, now, if, now if that doesn't happen, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> Um, what about the other parts of the episode uh, with uh, with Diane? I liked that we had somebody just call out, Will is a sleaze. Yeah, that was, well, that whole scene of Jeffrey DeMunn, who looked different to me, uh, it took me a second, um, Had did a fantastic job with, with what was basically a glorified cameo. But, you know, hey, more mm. people showing up on The Good Wife, big surprise. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that character a lot and just the frankness. And I, I like that, you know, that's, I don't know if it's getting into um, wishful thinking, you know, West Wingland, but I would like to think that that's how our Supreme Court justices, you know, approach things and approach the law and, and approach people that they are looking at, you know, ushering into their ranks. Totally. And I continue to really like Jason Biggs whenever he shows up, which is surprising to me because I never think about Jason Biggs. Now, do you think uh, Kalinda has uh, contributed to Anonymous before? I doubt it. I don't, or, if, or if she has, I don't think it's something they're going to be pursuing on the show. Okay. I couldn't tell what we were supposed to read from that scene. If it, it was just like she did this one time to get the confession out there, or if you know she was the one who had been letting stuff out i don't it doesn't seem to fit with her character but i also could see them you know going a different way yeah also the initial scene of uh of alicia's son getting the text was <laughs> really really creepy was, yeah it was played was, really well it was very nicely edited yeah well any final thoughts on good wife or let's shall we go on to top of the lake it's uh it's just been a really good stretch for them and i guess the season's almost over yep two right? more two more episodes next two weeks hopefully they can keep it up Definitely. And that's another one where I'm, again, very glad to know that it is coming back. And our final uh, show this week in Our Weekend Drama is Top of the Lake, which had aired episode six and episode seven, the finale of Top of the Lake. And yeah, damn. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, the, what's interesting about Top of the Lake, which I think we can both agree is probably the best attempt on, on TV to do long form mystery since, let's say, Veronica Mars early mm -hmm. seasons is that a fair assessment uh, unless you want to consider sherlock long form or as good as this which i don't either of those things boom so uh, <laughs> but anyway uh i think what was interesting about this was that even though it was fairly easy to guess most of what would happen based on especially the last couple of weeks although you were really ahead of the curve uh, in our talks about it mm. it didn't really diminish how good it was at all like it, it wasn't we didn't need a crazy, basically it didn't need to be the killing. It didn't need to like try to constantly surprise us just for the sake of trying to surprise us in ways that didn't necessarily always make sense. Mm -hmm. 
which is really nice. Like that's how actually these things should be written where the emphasis isn't on shock. It's on good storytelling and good character development. And we got those things. So I was happy. I wasn't very pleased with how rushed the ending felt to me, or at least in the sense of we get everything is resolved in theory for the most part. And then it's over, Mm -hmm. which was distressing to me because I really wanted some decom. I could have actually gone for a whole, whole other hour of just decompression time and sort of wrapping things up with each of these characters uh, because I didn't feel like I'd spent enough time with them in their company in this place. But I mean, did did the did the pacing of those last 10, 15 minutes seem uh, a little accelerated to you? No, not really. Um, I I think I could have I would have preferred maybe taking like five minutes or something bef- before the final set piece, as it were, and then and putting that at the end. It was a, a little slow, because, I mean, of course, we know it's a TV show, right? The characters within the world are all acting completely appropriate for their world. But but I'm watching this going, nah, Elle says that, the, that, that Matt was the father. There's too much time left. It's That's not true. So it's got, that means it has to be Al, which means that, you know, she's got to figure it out. How is she going to, you know, so mm-hmm. I felt you know, with that, you know, extra baggage on top. And maybe that's not fair. I did feel like it kind of dragged a bit um, before we saw Robin piece it together. I liked how quietly she pieced it together and how, how mm-hmm. still the, the, sh- the shooting was the direction and, and the cinematography and everything in that moment. Um, it was, it was, it was very wonderfully restrained, but I could have used, yeah, maybe a couple of those minutes before, you know, when, when it seems like the story's, over but we know it isn't and put yeah. that at the end i guess and uh what wh- what do you think uh uh moss and jano's next move is after this ends i i don't know do you mean the characters yes yeah oh well i mean they found out that they aren't related so that's nice so i think they just well they to... found out from al that's true <laughs> i so... think you double check that <laughs> or you just decide yeah. to believe it because I'm pretty sure that they actually are related, and he was just trying to uh, keep keep her not distressed. Because otherwise, why would her mother have been so freaked out by Jono's presence? Well, that's the thing. If her mom thought that that John Jono was Matt's son, that doesn't mean that her mom was right. So, because that's how they re- resolve that by saying that Jono wasn't actually Mon- uh, Matt's son. Which is a it kind of came out of nowhere, um, but I, I you know I want them to have as much of a happy ending as that fucked up family can have. So I want them uh, see, just the, accepting it, that. It, is it wrong that I thought to myself, yeah, you're probably related, but meh. well, because just don't just don't create any new people. Well, it's something where it's like then you get into the whole nature nurture thing, where it's like if they are biologically related, they were never they were never had that relationship they were never treated or raised as siblings they you know so so there are as much siblings as two people who have never met so you know i don't know it it gets it gets um complicated and that's what they're going for clearly and they they did well yes and this lets me bring up our our mantra one more time incest is wincest (laughs) i do think that they played that the the, those scenes so well, especially Elizabeth Moss, of trying to to deal with it and just failing, and they just can't 
That, that was wonderful. But I also want to mention David Wenham because I thought he did a fantastic job as Al. Uh, we should also mention Jacqueline Joe, who plays Tui. I don't know if she's actually 12 slash 13 or not. I, I, you know, it's it's hard to tell with kids sometimes, but uh, holy crap, she did an amazing job. And I think Tui is an iconic character already or should be. Yeah. I, I mean, just the whole show is just replete with amazing performances. Uh, I mean, Campion and, and Gerard Lee, I think, just did a fantastic job with the whole thing. As much as I would love to slather praise on everyone because it's so good. Um, let's leave it there. And uh, this is another, I mean, it, it was a damn good week, but this also feels like a bit of a no-brainer. Who wins the drama for you this week? Uh, well, are we? so we're not counting our spotlight? Not counting our spotlight. Uh, well, then, yeah, top of the lake. Yeah, top of the lake. Damn good week of television. Definitely. Yeah, let's take a quick break, though, listen to some music, and come back with our spotlight on Southland Chaos. in your pockets i need to know about no man no no needles no keep your fingers laced behind your head just around out here man yeah, do you have anything in your pockets you want to tell me about nothing keep your hands laced behind your head so i'm not going to be surprised i'm not going to find anything on you you have one no, more man. chance no. cops are supposed to hold the line between chaos and civilized society every now and then chaos gets the upper hand very appropriately this week, there was no music in this episode of Southland. I think there was one song in the background in, in, in the, the meth head's house, but nothing identifiable, nothing recognizable. So instead, I used a, another one of the performances from The Voice along with the Southland clip this week. But um, we did not anticipate this. We did we, we spotlit uh, Southland a few weeks back because it was a really, you know, it was a really great episode, but also because we didn't know that we were ever going to have another opportunity with the you know the a pickup for next season still not having come and it looking less and less likely uh we figured we better get in the spotlight while we still can and then chaos the episode from this week happens and written by zach whedon directed by christopher trulock and it exploded our brains yeah and i think what oh man i guess <laughs> We've, have i broken you by just yes, saying this, the episode this, title i I, I made the mistake of watching this really late at night at around two in the morning, and I did not get to sleep. I was so disturbed, so distressed, so terrified by this episode. Kate, I'm, I'm shocked that you will probably never watch American Horror Story on a regular basis, but you apparently will watch this and praise it because this is ten times scarier than any episode of American Horror Story I get, or any episode they'll ever do, I promise you. Uh, it was, and I, th I think one of the reasons it was so effective is that in those first few minutes, I was thinking, this is not that promising a setup. Like I, I, I mean the, the whole, um, the, the whole, uh, Cooper finally having his, oh, by the way, I'm gay conversation. And then the little tussle they have and the homophobic outbreak, I'm like, okay, like that was reasonably well done, but I'm not really sure I'm that interested in this story for a whole hour. And then, you know, rug pull. That's totally not what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, and, I, and I think part of that was you know we get we get the flash forward at the start of the episode, which tends not to 
like the the stuff that that the, the stuff that those scenes tease tends not to be that huge well, in general and it also tends to come from near the end of the episode maybe five minutes before the end maybe 10 minutes before the end but yeah. this it was very early yeah there was nothing there was no reason to think that what we got a tease of was going to be this upsetting yeah yeah absolutely and and we with the one of the other ones this season we had um was it either ben or sammy almost getting shot like we've had other ones where it seems like it's a really significant you know uh, situation where then you know we get the context and yes it's serious things happen but it's not this level of intensity and so that almost sort of lulls us into a sense of security because this is it used to be a network show it's a procedural it's you know it's all these things so we think we know what this story is going to be we think we've seen this story before and then they just commit to it and that's from all the performers that's from the writer that's from the director that's from the editors this was an intense episode to the point where and i know other people have said this as well you know seven walls review specifically mentions this but any of the the scenes that were were with things that weren't related to to Cooper and Lucero, I didn't care about. And I understand the pur- purpose of like showing while all of this crazy stuff is happening to Cooper and his partner, this is what everybody else's day is, and they don't even know. I think that you know that could be effective, but they're trying to you know maybe if it had been a more uh, basic day for them, maybe if it had just been like the the monotony of it or that sort of a thing, it would have been more effective. But because they're you know they have the the stuff with Sammy and the um the 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 the, the break in at the house, you know, it's like they want the sh- the episode or the show wants you to kind of care about that stuff, which is a under you know a undercurrent of the plot. But every time they cut away to that stuff, I was like, shut the fuck up! I want to know what's going on with Cooper. Yeah, and you don't think that you would be saying that about a B story in which someone gets impaled on a giant spike. Yeah. But that but the A plot was so riveting and so terrifying that it uh, yeah, that I I completely agree. I can barely remember anything about those other scenes because the A plot was was so compelling. And I I think what also works is that it's the sort of storyline you've seen shows like this do before you know the cop in trouble you know obviously the you know the famous uh, csi episode directed by tarantino is premised all around that mm. but you haven't seen it like this yeah or at least i haven't the two the two partners who uh are are, are in start out in you know in a bad you know situation you know obviously lucero uses a homophobic slur against uh cooper early in the episode so they're really clearly at odds with each other they're gonna bond over this life-changing experience together they're yeah, gonna and come at the together. end of the episode they'll have a beer yeah no. no 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 probably back at the gay bar where they where they nope you know, nope that is not happening i mean and the other thing with this that we talked about a little bit um before, you know earlier in the week the other thing that sort of lulls you to a false sense of security with this episode is that it's the second to last episode of the season and very likely the series you don't expect something like this to happen with one episode left in a procedural yeah no you really don't i mean you you could write a whole dissertation on the way southland structures its episodes and i guess this season because it is actually quite novel it's really not like a whole lot of other shows but yeah it's it's a it's a total in every sense it's just brilliantly placed in the season and the episode itself is brilliantly put together so that you're totally not you're you're totally unprepared mm-hmm. for 
just how horrible it gets. And when Cooper's partner actually is shot, just the, the rhythms of the scene are so perfect to catch you totally off guard. And I don't know about you, but my mouth was just was just catching flies for 10 more minutes after that. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, you know, talk about, uh, you know, <laughs> the shit just got real. The The performance from Michael Cudlitz is just so amazing in that moment. And, and also, like I said earlier, the, 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 even just the framing of the direction and the cinematography and everything else, it's just, you, you just, his physicality, you just see him somehow deflate even more. You, he's been, you know, brutalized and and taken ransom and they they've you know done god knows what to lucero before this but somehow that is when holy crap and and yet somehow him getting hit with the shovel was even worse for me because mm -hmm. it was just like one more oh oh god his well, back is already fucked up and, and they just did that. And they had a mention of his back earlier in the episode, which I didn't think about because I didn't think about that, that the, them hitting him specifically in the back for, you know, his, his medical history with that. I didn't, that didn't occur to me until I was talking to you. And then of course, and of course they had the mention of his back earlier to remind the audience, uh, you know, of that little bit of history so that when the shovel hit came, it was all the more just destroying. Yeah, it was... God, I, I don't even know how they're going to deal with this next week at all in a no. satisfying fashion. I'm, I mean, obviously, if they don't bring back McRaney next week, I'll be very, very disappointed and surprised. Yeah. But, yeah, just my hat's off to them. I was just... I. Yeah, I don't know what else I can say. Well, and the title of the episode is Chaos, right? And that's another element that they did so well. And it's something that, you know, with when we watch something like Breaking Bad, you know, they have scenes like um, Jesse understands meth, meth heads, right? So he, he goes and he just gets a shovel and starts digging. And because he, he knows that, you know, that, that sort, of, sort of random thing can just like the, the meth head will just start just digging and just like okay let's do that you know like because there's a certain amount of rational behavior and then a certain amount of utterly irrational and it's and it's not necessarily how you might expect it and so the having them be i believe right they say that they're meth heads right in yes. in this uh having you know that really dangerous level of of rational thought and irrational thought combined with those two characters kind of trading off back and forth and the just the staging of the of where they're being held there isn't an option like the they're the methods though they're 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 messed up and everything but they are smart enough to 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 link them together with the handcuffs and so that they they they're stuck there's not there's only so much they can move there's only so much they can do when you look at that scene I mean, at least when I was looking at those scenes, I couldn't think of anything that they could do to help themselves. And so that was for characters as resourceful as these two guys, that was really important to to establish without it feeling too hands on or just the balancing act of it. Re resourceful. And, you know, you don't want to fuck with a guy like Cudlitz. I mean, oh, God, no, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 especially Cudlitz. He he is not getting enough props and he's getting props from people who are seeing this, but he is absolutely in the, in the very top echelon of people acting on television right now, mm -hmm. period. Like he needs to be in that top five conversation. All, all the, the awards. <laughs> so yeah, if, if, if we, I mean, he's the only person who apparently hasn't signed on for another show. 
yeah. um, which I find strange. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be watching very closely for what he does after this ends, which I'm assuming is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm still hope, have, hoping with desperate, pathetic hope for both Southland and Bunheads, such different shows, <laughs> to come back somehow next year. But, um, but yeah, we, if you, if you aren't watching Southland, if you haven't, if you like drama, if you like intense uh, action or, or, or just really amazing performances, do yourself a favor and watch this. It's on. It's available on demand. If you have cable, it should be up by now. If not, it'll definitely be up by Wednesday. Watch this episode. It's ugh, damn. Just damn. Yeah, I I can no longer call Southland the Shield Light anymore. No. After this one, I don't. I mean, I can't imagine that they can top it next week uh, with their finale. But it doesn't really matter. <laughs> a nope. show's lucky to have one episode like this in its run. Now let's t- talk about a few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf with Capone's Deeper Copy from Ain't It Cool News. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. We are up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed as well as an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would love to get more ratings and reviews there, so please uh, be like Jason and, uh, and and let us know what you think of the show. Um, of course, you can also reach us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are... I'm at Sucker Howell, and this is where you're going to ask me what the question of the week is, so I'm just going to say, what is the most viscerally upsetting hour of television you've ever seen? Because for me, Chaos is now, like, instant top five contender. Okay, good good question. I was actually going to give you a little more time, because I have to say, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at gmail.com, and of course, you can also like us on Facebook. And uh, I'm going to put up a poll this week for... Which show uh, do you guys want me to tune into to to check out in the next week? So, um, I, if you have suggestions for that for that you would like to have in contention for people to vote for, let me know. Make me watch something, and if nothing else, I'll talk about it there. So that uh, wraps up our show notes. So let's take a quick break, listen to some music and a clip, and come back with Steve Fricopi, uh, Capone from Made of Cool News, to talk horror. Capone's horror picks to it and Storm of the Century. I gotta go. Go. Without this, it's my house. Exactly. Go on, kiddo. Take it. Oh, you want it, don't you, Georgie? Oh, of course you do. And there's cotton candy and rides and all sorts of surprises down here. And balloons too. All colors. Do they float? Oh yes. They float, Georgie. They float. And when you're down here with me, you float too! You were with a whore in Boston when your mother died in Machias. Ma was in that crappy old nursing home they tore down last fall. The one where they found the rats in the pantry, right? She choked to death calling your name. Isn't that sweet? That's all right, Robbie. She's waiting for you in hell, and she's turned cannibal. When you get there, she's going to eat you alive over and over and over again. Because that's what hell is all about, Robbie. Repetition. I think in our hearts, most of us know that. 
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, it's been six months, so he's back to scare the crap out of me again. It's Steve Procopi, Capone from Ain't It Cool News, and he's here with Capone's Horror Picks 2, this time It and Storm of the Century. Sir, damn you, and the Stephen <laughs> King you wrote in on. I, I'm so thrilled to be a part of your life and to, for us to have this connection and know that <laughs> whenever, whenever I talk to you, you're still trembling a little from something that I threw in your lap. So there you go. Glad to be, I'm so happy you had me back though. That's the real, that's the real thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, if, I don't know, I don't know if Simon would forgive me if I, if I tucked my tail between my legs and ran away from these horror picks, because I know he always enjoys these. Now, what did, what made you want to pick uh, these two in particular? I, I remember these being ones I genuinely loved. And I thought these were two of the, the scarier ones it uh, it was always one of my favorite books of Stephen King's and certainly one of the scariest and one of his most legendary books, I think. And then Storm of the Century was a huge deal because it was his first ever original screenplay for television. Uh, it was a miniseries over, I think, three or four nights. And uh, it was, yeah, just something he'd written originally uh, as a script. And, I mean, it did get published as a as a... It wasn't as a book. Actually, the script was published. I mean, it looked like a book, but it was. But what I loved about the 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 show, and we can talk more about it when we're, we're talking about Storm of the Century, is just that it felt like I was reading a Stephen King book as I was watching it. There there were just certain elements to it that I think captured what people have come to sort of enjoy or at least tolerate uh, about his writing uh, that was sort of perfectly captured in that in that miniseries. So yeah, th those were the that's the reason I like those two. Well, yeah, and we'll talk more about Storm of the Century a little later. We're going to start off with It. This was one where I I don't remember when I watched it, but I had seen at least part of it, um, <laughs> unintentional fun, uh, when I was younger. Um, and, and, you know, I, as you'd think anybody who had seen It, especially with my predilections towards scaredy-cattedness, uh, <laughs> that would, would have developed some sort of fear of clowns. But I really have, have no problem with clowns as much as that does puzzle Simon. Um, but I, so I rewatched this having a general familiarity with it, knowing that Tim Curry is really creepy and uh, terrible and should never be allowed to be in things because he's too good. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I did not remember that this is such a full cast of people that I know and, and recognize. Mostly from television. Yeah. Mostly TV people who had never really done a lot of things like this. So. Yeah, it was really it was really interesting, and I ended up really liking it. I know that um, that it has a sort of a strange reputation or, or public opinion on it. it seems to be uh, surprisingly negative, in my opinion, at least. I, I think it doesn't get enough props, perhaps just for the ending, but I don't know. I was really fine with that. So I, it was very effective. It was scary, not as scary as Salem's Lot, but still effectively terrifying. And uh, I'm glad that I, I watched it. So. Uh, well, well done, sir. Simon, what what did you think of it? I feel like the conventional wisdom around it is good first half, not so good second half, because the the story is very clearly divided between kid half and adult half. Although obviously with flashbacks sort of going back and forth, and I don't think that was quite borne out by this viewing. Which I I, I agree with you, Kate. I think it's mostly quite strong. Uh, I do think that the ending is hampered by some really unfortunate effects that they really couldn't do much about. They really just should have found another way to... Because the physical manifestation of it could have been anything, and the fact that they went with that and tried to execute that, just to be faithful, I guess. It's been so long since I've read the book, so I don't know how faithful that is. 
uh, was maybe not the best choice. I, what stood out to me on this viewing, though, is I haven't seen this since I was 13 or 14, and I didn't even pick up on it when I did that viewing. But the weirdest thing to me about it isn't Pennywise. It's the relationship between Beverly and everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, have, I, have either of you read on? the book? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I know that in the book they do something yeah. that can't do on television. Can't do on any TV, movie, anything. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad they can't because I'm sorry. I haven't read the book, but I've read a plot synopsis. And tell me if they sell it in the book. But the based on – I know what happens in the book. And that's just stupid and doesn't make sense and, and is bullshit. So this – I prefer <laughs> this Beverly – Far more than what apparently you get in the book. Um, it, it's still weird, though. It's still really weird. It's not as weird as a group fellatio-a-thon. Oh, I think it's more than that. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's... Uh, I don't know what we can say here. It's oh, We can say whatever we want. It's I think they each just kind of take comes... turns with her, isn't that... Yeah. I mean, I... But it's not... I don't think it's just that, or even if that's included. I, I think it's... Well, anyway, it's some variation of that. Either way, it's like little kids doing that. So, yeah. yeah. But but in the book, like it, it I'm not going to say it works in quotes, but it it makes sense in the context of this story here. It just feels like she's bouncing from guy to guy. Like it, it just it, it seems really strange and, and weird. And, and you know, uh, I, I will admit seeing it again. I, I don't know if I've seen this, honestly. I might have seen it once since it originally aired almost. 25 years ago that um and, and i do remember liking it but i i really focused a lot more this time on some of the flaws both in the acting and obviously like you said the effects uh and then but then you also noticed that just how unbelievably strong tim curry is in this role just every little facial expression and twitch and and everything is just perfect and almost it almost makes the rest of the film look a, a little or the rest of the series look a little less so because he's so good in it. Um, you know, it, I, I think it, I mean, it was cool. I mean, these, these actors were big deal actors on television at the time. And so it was kind of incredible to get them all in one, in one film. And, and, and as a, a devotee of the, of the novel, I was impressed at the, how much they were able to cram into this thing. Cause it's a, it's a thick book and uh, there's a lot of it in here, but, but some of the stuff that they had to, change and alter it's it it yeah you really do feel it in that second half especially that's interesting you know well first of all i don't i don't think i had as much of an issue with beverly as it sounds like you guys did it didn't seem that strange to me i actually really liked the the portrayal of how these kids had all been clearly very <laughs> fucked up by this experience <laughs> that, 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 that they shared as kids, um, just, you know, growing up in the town that they did and, and everything. And I thought that was manifested very well with all the different characters and seeing how that is extrapolated out into who they became as adults. And um, I don't know, I didn't, I really didn't see that strange of a relationship between Beverly uh, and the other characters so much you know, outside of that love triangle situation that, mm. that, that happens. But um, I don't know. That's, 
that's interesting. Maybe at some point I'll watch it again and uh, have a you know a, a different take on on it. But it was you know I thought it made so much sense to see her as an adult and she's in this abusive relationship and tying that back to her father and and but but then also all these other characters and their responses. I, I one of the few things I do specifically remember um, from the first time I watched it was the guy who doesn't make it back to town who just who commits suicide. I thought that was such a stark image and so so wonderfully and and effectively handled something like it's back shouldn't shouldn't really work if you take that if you, that dialogue you just sort of read it it's it's terrible mm-hmm. but but the, like you said uh steve the the actors do really manage to sell it and when you talk about tim curry in this movie yes his performance is amazing yes his his uh expression and his physicality is fantastic but i for me it all comes back to that voice yeah that is the voice. Like that's the voice I heard in my head when I read the book. Like that's absolutely it. So no, yeah. he's perfect. I th- I think something that's shared between both of these movies, and I think what makes them both work, or miniseries, whatever, is that um, mo- I feel like what's missing from a lot of people who try to do horror is that they they're lacking the human element, and mo- more importantly, they're lacking any sense of tragedy when when bad things do happen. I think something that both of these movies do really well, even though I think it is way more overtly a horror story than most of Storm of the Century is, is I I, th- I think that even when the acting is a little bit hammy, uh, especially from the kids, um, and even when you know things don't like, uh, for, for instance, like uh, you talked about things that may have been that may have been changed from the book. I'm I, I don't think things happen with Audra in the same way in the book, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that you, part you, I don't remember. Yeah. Because uh, that really didn't work for me, but um, but but even when those things don't necessarily ring true, th- there's always that human element to keep you to keep you engaged, and that helps you sort of overlook how sort of corny and maybe too linear some of it is. Like the w- yeah, uh, Kate, you mentioned the way we we see them as kids and then as adults, and how that stuff makes sense. But to me, some of it is just too literal mm-hmm. and and just really on the nose. And I know that's just how Stephen King likes to do things, but. Uh, when you see it visually manifested like that, it's a little bit too straightforward for me sometimes. I'm curious what you guys think of the pacing of this, because because I know some people think it's really too long, that the, the miniseries is really too long. Um, but I actually really enjoyed what felt like a more languid approach to it, that they really take the time to... To, at least I got a real sense of these characters reminiscing about their childhood. And um, I, I thought as much as some of the stare-off into the distance and then do a slow fade to a yeah it's a little you know it's a little dated or not particularly um uh elegantly handled but i I still thought the the pacing was actually very effective um for for me and i and there's some certain elements we'll get to with storm of the century actually that i i it was really interesting for me watching how the 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 pacing and the structure of this miniseries relates to Storm of the Century, so as an adaptation and then as an original or like originally intended for television. There's some really you know, and I also watched the stand at the same time I was watching these. So there's some real big Stephen King isms, but um, I'm curious for you guys how that uh, the the pacing of this uh, worked, and, and especially Steve relating to the book. I mean, it's it's obviously the pacing's a little quicker than the book, but uh, I actually thought it was a this seemed like a pretty standard issue uh, television pacing. I, I would say that's not necessarily the truth for 
storm of the century. I think that has more of a cinematic quality to it. This, I think, has a pretty, I mean, the back and forth stuff I thought was great. You have to remember that this was about three or four years after uh, Stand By Me was such a huge hit, also based on a Stephen King uh, story. And so this this idea that of, of telling the story about kids growing up and and having this, uh, there's a lot in the in the in the story with the kids. It doesn't really have to do with the clown or, or with this creature in the in their town, but um, but this idea that you could have this entertaining Stephen King story be about just growing up uh, and having bullies and having you know messed up parents. That's something that had already been sort of tested and succeeded so i think people were kind of eager to to recapture some of that vibe uh and i think that's a similar pacing to that actually it's not it's not rushing through it uh but at the same time i don't i don't think it's uh i, I would i don't know if it's really languishing in it either so i i thought it was i thought it was actually one of the things i liked best about it was how it how it moved i don't really have a, pay, uh, a pacing issue with either one uh Mostly because I, I do think the stuff with the kids is is perfectly compelling, and that's where most of the, I guess, stuff people would want cut would be, uh, like Steve was saying. Uh, but I do find it funny that um, Steve referenced it as being more cinematic, in it, it, or sorry, uh, Storm of the Century being more cinematic, at least in its pacing, because I actually think the direction and uh, shooting of it and editing uh, feels much more just like a, a long movie that Storm of the Century, which to me feels much more TV miniseries, not just because of the length, but because of uh, because of the very because the act breaks are are so much more pronounced, and also just the the directing style just feels a little bit uh, blander to me than with it. Uh, even though I do like Storm of the Century a lot. Any thoughts or me? Yeah. Oh uh, no, I, I mean he's wrong, so that's fine. No, okay. I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I mean I, honestly, when, when I talk about the pacing in Storm of the Century, I, I'm talking more about how it just takes a lot longer to get yeah. to the with what I mean some some people would say is the good stuff, the you know, the horror element. But I actually like the taking their time getting there, the character development. I don't think there's a there's just enough information with the characters in it uh that we you know they're they're not fully formed characters and we're just given just a tiny bits of information about them as kids and as adults and we make the connections and uh it's it's you know it's it's not but but at the same time like in my head it didn't bother me as much because I knew who these characters were from having read the book and but I can see how some people might not have taken to them who hadn't read the book necessarily um, did did the I got to ask this did did Harry Anderson bother anybody as much as he bothered me in this movie he if you if you watch him carefully he is overacting every second he's on the screen. Like he's just waving his hands around and yelling in every scene. And at one point, I think even the character tells him to stop yelling or says, you're yelling. And, and it's like, thank you. That's the director should be saying that. But thank you. No, he's he's awful. Oh, uh, no, I, yeah, that didn't bother me because it felt so it felt very much driven by the character. So I, I got the sense that the actual because and we get some sense of that from the dialogue as well. But the Harry Anderson character, I don't remember his name, but uh, that's somebody who is constantly overacting in reality just because he's terrified. And yes. um, that's his defense mechanism. So no, and plus, I, I just enjoy Harry Anderson. So maybe yeah. that's why. You know what I found distracting was seeing little kid Seth Green and then seeing who he 
quote grows up into in the in the movie when it's like we know that Seth Green just grows up to look exactly like more Seth Green. <laughs> I did really enjoy Seth Green though in the you know of of the kids he's probably uh, one of the ones I enjoyed the most. Did you guys have any other standouts uh, amongst the, the 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 kids and then the adults? Uh, the kid the kid who plays the uh, the Richard Thomas role I thought was really good and I think he's still kind of. Is it Jonathan Brandis? Is that his name? That's Jonathan Brandis, yes. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was really good. But yeah, other than that, I don't remember. Yeah, Seth Green is funnier than than Harry Anderson is. Like, he's a riot in this thing. So, yeah, I give him all credit. Yeah, he, I didn't, I'd forgotten he was in it. So he, He's good, but it's funny because you guys keep talking about how you've seen these people and everything. And the only people I recognize are Seth Green and obviously John Ritter. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But not Richard Thomas? John No. Ritter? He's I don't on know the Americans right now too. So what about Annette O'Toole? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen her in a while. I, oh. Again, I I didn't recognize that guy from the Americans though. Yeah. Oh no no he's he's, he's, he's on the Americans right. He's like the head of the FBI team. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't make that connection. Yeah. Well, but, but more importantly, in my generation, he was John Boy on the Walton. So yeah. <laughs> That mole is unforgiving <laughs> from everything. No, he's, he, I thought he was maybe my favorite of everybody in this, except for Tinker, of course. Well, before we move on to Storm of the Century, I, I I would not feel like we had been honest to our listeners if we didn't talk about some of the flaws. And for me, a big flaw with it is the the ending. And when I say the ending, I don't mean the spider thing, and I don't mean the the unfortunate um, pract- not very successful practical effects. I mean the Stephen King happy ending that doesn't make any sense. Now, we have the Audra magical bicycle scene, which has some issues, but... In fact, my my single most frustrating element with this conclusion is the fact that everybody's memories sort of go away. They forget because the the effect of of Pennywise or whatever has has gone, uh, except for the couple who got together and they conveniently (laughs) remember remember enough to be involved at the end. Yeah, that should be a problem, shouldn't it? (laughs) One would think. Yeah, it's... uh... I mean, that's how it is in the book. So uh, I, it didn't really bother me. And that's actually not the first time I don't think Stephen King has used that device either. But uh, because I think his feeling is that the only way that people could deal with something this horrific in their life is just not having to remember it at all. Um, and he does, he, he, he takes psychology out of the equation and, and instead of having their brains just cover it up, he just, literally literally wipes their brains clean of the incident so yeah i but at the same time i think it's a neat device that the minute they make that connection with their hometown again with those phone calls it all comes sort of flooding back i, I like that device of having the memories kind of come back piecemeal um so i don't know I, it fit in line with what we had learned about this the effect that this clown had on them and their memories originally so didn't bother me that much. But the, he, but the horrible spider bothered me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and when we were talking about Beverly earlier, actually something that I did really like is that she's the, the most effective, strongest character, really, at, in, in the in the conflict or whatever. She's the one both as a child and then as an adult, maybe because as a child she was used to terrible things happening around her all the time, that uh, she she's the one who defeats it in the moment and keeps her wits about her. She's the one who lasts the longest in, in the as adults. So that was actually, with all the potential gender issues going on and complicated gender issues in this 
miniseries. I thought that was actually kind of interesting. Did you guys have any other things that stood out to you or either for positive or negative? No, I mean, I, I think overall I, I do like it a lot. I think it's aged relatively well, uh, which is surprising considering, you know, the practical effects and its supreme early 90s-ness slash even late 80s-ness. Um, but uh, I, I do think that if you – and uh, can I just say again, Kate, to you on this podcast, you're afraid of scary movies, but you're not afraid of clowns. No, they're not scary. <laughs> what's wrong? With, clowns are inherently scary. I don't understand what's wrong with you. Clowns are not scary. Clowns I- who are inside of a drain in a shower, <laughs> that's scary because the clown shouldn't be there. Clowns who are hiding within your laundry and then disappear, <laughs> that's scary because, again, that shouldn't happen. No, but it... <laughs> see, that's correct because clowns shouldn't be anywhere. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll give you being afraid of Tim Curry. I won't necessarily <laughs> give you being afraid of a clown. And when you talk about this, I, I feel like it has to be either the book or the, the miniseries that really sparked for an entire generation a fear of clowns. It did. It did for clowns what Jaws did for sharks. That's absolutely true. So, uh, yeah. It, so you did find it scary, though. Uh, oh, ultimately. definitely. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. No, I didn't have the visceral um, uh, adrenaline pumping through the body. I want to kind of throw my computer, but I won't because it's my computer across the screen as I watch my DVD. Didn't have that. You know, that that was the kind of the reaction I had to parts of Salem's Lot. I didn't have that, but I definitely had had the don't want to be watching this. And then there's going to be a God, Tim Curry sort of (laughs) viewing experience. Um, And I guess that's that'll be my final question before we go on to Storm of the Century. Um, Scariest place for there to be a clown and or most effective, terrifying moment. Go. Uh, I'll go with on Earth, and um, <laughs> I would say uh, any instance of 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 uh, the kids can see blood, but no one else can. I, I found that really unsettling. Uh, that first moment where we the clown is in the drain and the little boy is fishing around for his little paper boat that Ugh. that is that is Ugh. almost like shot for shot right out of the book and and that was one of the scariest things as a kid i remember ever reading in my life and to see it come to life was almost more than i could handle as a kid when i was younger so uh yeah that that's the scene that that just kind of hooked me from the and it's still watching it again a couple weeks ago it still got to me so yeah i I don't know if i could pick a single um clown moment because they all you'd think it should get old right because it's the same line you know they all float down here but they manage to sustain the menace throughout you know the whenever he 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 appears um i guess i'll just go with the laundry at the beginning because it is such an effective way to open and to really establish the stakes and you know what this is going to be and your first shots of pennywise are just terrifying but um Yeah, let's move on to Storm of the Century, though. Uh, and if, if it is the Tim Curry movie, uh, Colm Fiore is, if, I'm not actually even sure if that's how you pronounce his name, Colm Fiore, I don't know, something like that. He is really the, the single driving force of Storm of the Century. And um, yeah, it takes a lot of presence to, to make sitting in a cell terrifying, but he does yeah. a pretty good job. You know, I, it hadn't occurred to me until I did this rewatch because I did see this originally when it when it aired and quite liked it then. But if I was NBC and I was doing a, a Hannibal series, I would think that Colm Fiore should have been on that short list as Lecter. 
Yeah. I mean, he's a little too old, but still. Too old now. Yeah. Seeing, I just, I was saying, I, I just saw, I was just watching this week's Revolution, and I'd forgotten that last week he came, all he started up on the show. Um, he's, and he, yeah, he's a little too old for young Hannibal Lecter, but he, he would be, he would have been a great choice. So, in, in, at, like at this age, a storm of this, in 1999, he would have been a great yeah. choice. Yeah, I, I think I actually prefer Storm of the Century to it, to be honest. I think it's I, I do it like it a lot, but I think Storm of the Century by the way, it's really difficult to compare something else to it because you have to keep specify which it you're talking about. Um But I think Storm of the Century is a little bit more consistent, a little bit more um a little bit more psychologically uh recognizably human than it is, which feels quite cartoonish to me a lot of the time. And also, I, I and I think it gets major props, and I know, Kate, you're going to agree with me, for not copping out at the end. Not at all. Yeah. No, absolutely right. And, and like I said before, there are certain elements uh, of this screenplay that just are clearly coming out of Stephen King, which is – and we saw it in It, too, that, that repetition – uh, is a big thing in Stephen King's work, uh, whether it's songs or just expressions, whether it's about, you know, everything floats down here or it's about singing a, a teapot song. It's like, it's just constant. And I don't know, it, that never, it, that's actually always something that bugged me about Stephen King because that stuff doesn't scare me, but but I get that it's an identifier. Um, I like that there are references in Storm of the Century to other Stephen King works. Uh, in fact, the town of Deary, the fake town of Deary that it takes place in is mentioned in Storm of the Century, uh, as is uh, Dolores Claiborne, who also was a resident of this island, by the way, uh, in, in that book. So, uh, yeah, I, I just there's just certain things, King-isms that, that are just sort of dripping out of the walls of this of this uh, story that I just really dug. And, yeah, and Calm, Calm Fior is is so... He, he, he's one of those great character actors that more is le- or less is more with him. Uh, the, the, the more he stands still and just stares at you, the more freaked out it made me. Um, in fact, when he flashed fangs at you every so often, that didn't bother me as much. It's when he just looks at you. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, this, this is just one of those, those kind of great stories that I, that I respond to. And I, I just kind of love watching that New England rage, too. Just that, that mob mentality that that only island folk in New England really managed to, to capture so well. So Yeah, that's it. I think um, Storm of the Century is clearly better than it. Definitely. Yeah. I have, like, I, 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 uh, I would be surprised to see anybody try to argue the other the opposite side of that and i did really enjoy it so that that's saying something for me yeah the the thing about storm of the century that makes it so successful i think besides obviously the some of the performances which are which are really good first of all it it doesn't have some of the stephen king crutches that appears in so much of at least the adaptations of his work that i've seen which is there isn't a magical negro character for once <laughs> which is so refreshing and and like we s- said uh, simon there isn't the the random nonsensical happy ending either and another one of the things that this gets so right is the pacing and the structure of the reveal is fantastic when when we get mm-hmm. the reveal of what he wants I felt like a freaking idiot for not having figured it out because it the, the children are so carefully 
peripheral throughout the entire story. And, and so that, along with just the, the fact that this really, as stupid as Little Tall is for the name of an island, <laughs> this this 100% feels like a community from the very first moments of, of the miniseries. And so, I, I don't know, I, I think it's interesting because this was his first miniseries script you know his you know first thing that we've watched that was for, you know was intended to be a miniseries that that certain of these elements are so wonderfully and uh, handled and and sort of ladled out in in an effective way throughout the miniseries uh, whereas that's not necessarily been a, a strength of some of his other adaptations it's a great collection of except for tim daly it's this wonderful collection of like dozens of these great character actors that we've seen in hundreds of things. We probably couldn't name most of them, but we know their faces to varying degrees. And um, yeah, I, I love that quality that just, you're right. That, that's what made it feel like a community for me because it's like, you always envision in your head that all the character actors in Hollywood all like know each other and all are like vying for the same parts, but no, they're all here now. They're all in one one movie and they're just like, and it, they all feel like they know each other. Um, and just, I mean, just the acting quality is better than it. The, the production value, which I know shouldn't matter, but it does. Uh, I, I still can't quite figure out how they pulled off this massive snowstorm. I mean, it looks real sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it, I, I'm sure a lot of it's fake snow, but um, yeah, I, I, I kind of like, it made me wonder, like it felt, it felt very real. I never doubted. You know, the, the the biggest special effect wasn't Harry Anderson's like shoulder pads and his jacket <laughs> in this one. It's no, it's a, it's a it really does. Yeah, you kind of have to to feel like you're a part of this and feel like you care about what happens to these people for it to work. And and you absolutely do. Um, by the time this is all said and done, I, I'm I'm not totally convinced they didn't shoot those uh, those sequences of the um, of the houses and boats getting smashed with giant waves in like a bathroom sink with three centimeter models. That's possible. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like that's the only way they could have pulled that off on a TV movie budget. But uh, I, I do like, like I said, I, I don't think the the direction is very. It's it's very. Um, uh, what's the word? I'm, it's just not very. It's it's not showy direction direction at all, and I would say less so than with it. But I do think that the the pall that the storm casts over the town and just the the sheer gloom of the whole thing, which doesn't let up until the very end, even though things don't really get any better. Um, yeah, I think that's really really effective, and I think that's the main visual thing that works. It's funny for me to see Jeffrey Demun in this because he's also in The Mist, so he must have some sort of weird Stephen King connection. And uh, he's in Shawshank Redemption too. Oh, is he? Yeah, uh, and the Green Mile, actually. Yeah, that. They... So yeah, clearly he's like pals with King or Darabont. Well, this is actually something. the only Stephen King thing he's been in that Frank Darabont has not directed. So, uh, but yeah, he. I mean, he he he's great. He's he's a great, perfect New England. Like he actually is a New Englander. He's from Boston. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's perfect for these kind of roles. Well, and and uh, these people. I mean, they feel like real people it's, and it's it's a, it's not just the the sense of community between them and the the very lived in quality of the the the, the locations and 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 um even just things like costuming it's also the decisions that they make throughout you know the the process they they all make sense they're all logical they you know as soon as they start to figure out you know some sense of what's going on they make sure that they don't ever leave somebody alone with with this guy with Andre they you know the the steps that they take feel very 
natural and logical. And so that puts you in the position. They're probably everything that, that uh, uh, Constable Mike Anderson does is something that we would do. And that makes the, the result all the more inex- inescapable. Yeah. I, I like also that, that, that Anderson is, they don't shy away from his spirituality side. I like that he's quoting the Bible and has a working knowledge of the Bible, maybe even more so than the town priest. Uh, I, I like that they, they sort of include that because this is a, I, I, like a, there is a religious element to this story and they don't, they don't really shy away from that. And that's, uh, although St- I, I don't, there aren't too many stories where Stephen King has actually gone that route. So I kind of like that that's a part of this. Uh, I, I would also say that I think it actually makes a really good double feature with The Mist, um, just because it 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 has those um, ethical, moral issues cropping up in extreme circumstances. It has that New England quality. Uh, I mean, I mean, every single thing he's ever done is in some variant of Maine, so it's not really surprising. But I, I feel like the I, the Mist is definitely more nihilistic to me than. Uh, Storm of the Century is almost to a comical degree, but um, but I th- I think they Kate, if you haven't seen The Mist, I, th- I think they they make a good pairing. Although that has more giant bugs in it, which you might have a problem with. Yeah, that Mist will scare you more than anything you've seen so far. Well, are there any other uh, things we want to mention about Storm of the Century? For for me, the, one of the things I would mention is that as as much as I do think this is a step forward as far as adaptations goes, because it's not one uh, where it does work more as a miniseries or as a TV movie than some of the other Stephen King's things I've seen. I do think uh, Stephen King's unfamiliarity with the genre or, you know, this is, this is the first one he did like this is, you know, something that comes through with the ending, not what happens, but the way that it's structured, it feels very much like a, like an epilogue in a book with the, you know, all of a sudden yeah. voiceover comes in and that didn't work for me. It felt, it felt like a crutch and I didn't need to, most of the things that they show you at the end, I didn't need to see. And so, and so then it just, it felt sort of feel too long and the effectiveness of, you know, you could just have cut to, um, you know, like said like a X number of months later on the screen and then you cut to him he's by him, you know, you show his finger, there's no wedding ring. He's in San Francisco now. You know, I didn't need to see, everything else i don't know i, I actually kind of like that it, it added it added to the thing that i like about both these films which is that they don't shy away from tragedy and the human element and that's what these movies are really about not these not you know these calm fjord tim curry villains coming in and hogging the screen for three to four and a half hours uh so for me that wasn't really a problem i, I actually i like the ending because it, i actually had forgotten about that little epilogue and so i wasn't quite sure what we were going to see and then when they showed it, I'm like, wow, they are just driving another nail into this guy's heart. Like it's, it's like, it's worse for him than it was, or it, it just, it just made it even darker and, and, and more uh, impactful on, on what Anderson had to go through uh, with his kid. And then just to see, <laughs> you know, the after effects, which he wasn't supposed to see, although maybe, maybe that was, that was their intention to just make him even more miserable. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that even made that threw it even, even into a darker zone. Oh no, I like that. I didn't yeah. care. I didn't need the two months later. Here's what's happening with everybody on the Island. One oh, by one, oh, we find out 
who's died and you know who's become a drug addict and i also like that because like uh like steve said it's the story of a community as well and it's it's nice to sort of check in with them and see how it's affected everyone else and not just him i guess i just didn't care <laughs> how i cared about the mike anderson character but I, I don't know i guess or maybe it just felt like a very foregone conclusion to me that that's what was you know because there is this this inner decay and it's that's something that is a uh a, a con consistent theme, at least in the Stephen King that I've seen adaptations of, where it's this um, betrayal of of, of uh, a society or a community. There's a gnawing darkness that will come out, and um, you know these. If you betray, like the way that what happens in in um, the century, it's going to come back, and you can't live a happy. You know, it's very similar to what happens with it, where nobody talks about it, and and so all these characters are, you know, their lives to some extent or another have been very much shaped for the negative based on the community that that betrayed them. I, I think that's Stephen King's deep dark secret, and that really is the connective tissue between the two films: is this idea that in a small town they're going to take care of it themselves, outsiders are not welcome outside ideas aren't welcome and that I, I think even though Stephen King lives in a small town uh, I think he kind of resents them in a certain way at the same time and, and what goes on in them and the secrets that are kept there when they when they should be exposed and I, I think that's kind of always been something that's permeated his work for his entire career um, yeah anytime anytime there's a collection of people and that that you know I don't know if that would it kind of includes the stand as well but uh, yeah, I think there's, he's always looking for the people in it who are going to ruin it and or have already ruined it and no one's talking about it. So that's, that, that to me, that's the thing that really binds these two movies. Definitely. Well, do we have any final thoughts on Storm of the Century, uh, performers we want to mention or elements that, that worked? What was the most effective, horrible death? <laughs> I would say the old lady's death in uh, in Storm of the Century is, is nicely tone setting. Yeah, it doesn't really get much worse than that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty brutal. Yeah, I like the way that by the time the the younger woman whose name I I can't remember at the moment um, bashes her her boyfriend's head in, I I really like the way that pretty much everybody just kind of goes, yeah, there's something weird going on. We're not going to, she didn't do, really do this. And uh, yeah, as opposed to, there's one character who's the obligatory, we should lock her up. She just killed someone. But then everybody else goes, oh, shut up. You know, this is, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's something crazy going on. And yeah, so I, so I guess I'll go with that one for, for that reason. I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where this isn't really a horror. This doesn't feel like horror to me. It feels like suspense or a thriller about a guy sitting in a room. It's, I just keep marveling at how, that shouldn't work, I don't <laughs> think. But the you know the performances sell it. And that's why my my vote for for next time around is uh, Lars von Trier's The Kingdom because that is a horror series. Speaking of which, the, the director the director of Storm of the Century also directed, I believe, all of the episodes of Kingdom Hospital. Kingdom Hospital, yeah, which we probably shouldn't do because I hear it's awful. <laughs> I think I I think I saw all the ones they did, and aside from some interesting actors that are in it, uh, yeah, it's I don't remember it being that good. <laughs> <laughs> but Stephen King also did a series before that, or was it before or after that called Golden Years? That didn't, I don't think it got to, it's something he wrote too. I don't think he, uh, I don't think it quite finished its run of even a season. So, uh, um, 
Yeah, it's not. He's not necessarily born to write screenplays because I think he also wrote a film screenplay well before Storm of the Century, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. Maximum Overdrive, maybe. Oh, yeah, he directed Maximum. Overdrive. Oh, he directed. Oh, god, no, that's even worse than. Okay, that movie is hilarious. I know. <laughs> Well, uh, before we finish up here, I guess then my last question is, we've now, between the two Capone horror picks selections, we've seen five different horror-ish movies and uh, TV movies and miniseries. How would we rank them? To refresh listeners, if you haven't listened to part one, we, we talked about Salem's Lot, Duel, and Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. What's what's winning for you guys? I would say Duel, followed by Storm of the Century, followed by It, followed by the other ones. Hmm. Uh, yeah, duels right up there. I gotta, I gotta put Salem's Lot a little higher for me. I think that's maybe two or three, and then Storm of the Century. Uh, it and Don't Be Afraid of the Dark isn't Stephen King, but it's still, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that one really scared me that much, but it's pretty great. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I give Salem's Lot, then Storm of the Century, and then it. I guess. Then don't be afraid of the dark and finally duel, which you guys know I had issues with, um, which was so entertaining. Thank you so much, Steve, for coming back on the show. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, ain't it cool.com. And uh, we'll have to, you'll have to brainstorm some more ways to terrify me in about six more months. I get a break though. I'm looking okay. forward to that time off. Okay. <laughs> well, thank That's you good. everyone for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the television. 